is Strictly John Key. Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith, and welcome to another edition of Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. My studio guest, a Liverpool-born singer who's recorded with John Lennon, been in a group with Rod Stewart, and is described by Sandy Shaw as my best friend. Her career stretches back to the swinging 60s and the original Cavern, and it was at the reconstituted Cavern where her life story, One Dream, was performed last summer. Now, the musical show's coming back to Liverpool, this time to the the Epstein Theatre. It's a warm welcome to the top of the city tower to Merseyside's mistress of song, Beryl Marsden. Thank you, John. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to have you. Now, exciting times, Beryl, uh, back on stage in the city and um, at a theatre that's undergone a £1 million restoration as well. I know. Have you been there yet? Well, I'm, no, I <laughs> hold my hands up. I'm looking forward to going. Oh, great. No, it looks absolutely fabulous. It's yeah. a lovely atmosphere in there. And I gather it brings back memories for you, doesn't it? A little bit. I'm, I've sort of got little memories of it. Being, remember it was the Crane Theatre, the first crane, of all. I the remember uni- that. The Neptune. Then the Neptune, yes, yeah. So I've right. been there, for, yeah, well, it's yeah. Neptune. It was quite a while ago, though, yeah. last time I was So you've, there. you've actually sung there before in its former days, have you? I think... <laughs> I'm not know. sure if no. I have. Well, you've not. done so many gigs, you I see. Know, you? I know, I know. Yeah. I can't quite remember. Maybe when it was the crane, but I'm not 100% no. sure. No, OK. But anyway, wonderfully exciting uh, venture because the cavern was very successful, wasn't it? it the was, production you did last summer. It was great. I mean, I mean the, you know, the, the reason for doing that was to showcase to see how it, how it went, how it went down, and it went down so well. And it was, yeah, it was uh, quite an amazing show. And joining you in the studio, the man who wrote and produces the show, Mike Howell. Mike, um, you must have been very pleased the way it went at the Cavern. Um, sell-out audiences, so uh, high hopes now for uh, its next run. It, by the way, just to tell people, it's at the Epstein from next Friday, March the 14th, through to Sunday, March the 16th. So uh, how are preparations going, Mike? Wonderfully well, actually. We're uh, we're in rehearsal now, of course, and we're looking forward to doing it. We've got a great cast and terrific crew uh, and great facilities at the Epstein, so, yeah, looking forward to it very much. Great stuff. Now, talking of memories, Beryl, um, tell us about some of yours from the original Cavern days because um, you were there at the very heart of things, weren't you, when it was all bubbling up and <laughs> a great new, well, a great new piece of history and popular music was starting, really. That's right. Well, the first time I went to the cavern, I was 14, can yeah. you imagine? And um, I think just walking down those stairs was, was just incredible because the, the heat, first of all, the heat You'll hit you, you know, yes. and then the smell. But yeah. uh, but I don't know, you know, you got over that quite quickly as soon as you, you know, heard the music and, yes. the, and the atmosphere was, was just quite incredible. Yeah, you mentioned how hot it was. The, the walls actually sweated, didn't they? They did, yeah. That level on the people. <laughs> that level the, the people, did, yeah. But the smelly walls, walls as well as smelly people, John, you can imagine it, you know. Yeah. But as I said, you, you kind of you forgot about all that once once the music kicked in, you know. And, I, and obviously, um, I used to go down there quite a bit to see the Beatles, the big three. Another favourite of mine. I, they were yeah, fantastic, they were terrific, weren't, they? weren't they? Yeah, there were so many of them, weren't there? The, yeah, I great mean, groups. Great, great groups. And I also liked a couple of the bands from Manchester. I, I liked the Hollies. Oh yeah, and Wayne Fontana. And Terry Landers. Sylvester was a good friend yeah. of mine in the Hollies. Yeah. I think he's in America now. But Te- well, Terry joined after, well, the, the Escorts. He did. The yeah, Escorts that, first, yeah, wasn't it? That's and Terry, right, yeah, yeah. And Terry later on. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, great atmosphere because also. You know, the difference, I think, for kids today is in those days, we, there wasn't alcohol. It wasn't, you know, you had fun without 
And there were no or, computers. No, and no computers. <laughs> and mobile phones. Mobile phones. <laughs> Your mum didn't know where you were. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. No, it, but it was a, it was a totally different uh, social scene, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it re- really, really was. And I think, yeah, more. I think people connected a little bit more then. I mean, it's, it's not. I don't think it's the young kids' fault today per se because of you know technology. But it's just. It, I just find they don't connect. No. As well as we, you know, as, as we did when we were kids. Well, well, they haven't got the time to, have they? Well, you know, it's too too busy on their iPhones well, that's what or the I mean. iPads. It, it, it affects every fabric of society. That's that's true. I know? mean, if you take it to football now, uh, many uh, observers of the game say you don't see children playing football in the street like you used to do. They're inside looking at screens, aren't they? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Well, I remember as a child, is we all played out in the streets, didn't we? Yes. You know that that's what yes. we did. And, I'm going to say Ollie's then. Marbles. Oh, marbles. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those, yes. I remember playing Ollie's. Yeah. In the summertime, I definitely remember <laughs> sitting sitting with a, a swimmer costume on, playing with uh, lolly ice sticks in, in the old... Because uh, it got so warm yeah. that the tar would melt. We were kind of making little Oh, yes, and the tar in the, tar in the tar road would bubble stuff. up, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Where am yeah. I? Oh, yeah. goodness me. Yeah. So that, yeah, they were the fun days. So Mike, Mike Howell bringing you back in, you wrote the play... Um, this is a story of of Beryl in the round, as it were. It's not just Beryl the singer. It's a whole life in this story, isn't it? Certainly is. Yes. Um, obviously, it's very music orientated. Um, but uh, and Beryl's life has been revolved to a large extent around music. Mm. So that there is a big concentration upon that. But yes, it, it takes in everything. Yeah. Yes. And you actually saw Beryl perform way back in those cavern days, I gather. Yes, when I was 16, I think Bella would be... We were both a sweet 16. Um, perhaps I wasn't quite so sweet, but... Um, <laughs> we, I'm I, making no I don't think I was that sweet, to be honest. Where's your Beryl now? Tomboy me, you Where know. Were you? Oh, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Mike, we were, we, we, <laughs> you were saying you were sweet 16. Um, myself and my friends used to watch Beryl singing at the, at the Oral Park Ballroom. The OPB, as it was oh, affectionately yes, known, yeah, the Calf yeah. and the Iron Door. The Beatles played there as well. Mm. Certainly did, yeah. yeah. And we used to watch all the groups, as Beryl was saying. It was a great time. I think we were in the right place at the right time. Well, without yeah. a doubt. I was going to ask both of you. I mean, you were an observer as I was, and Beryl, you were a participant in it. Did you, did you have any idea at all that, you know, you were the Cavern and Matthew Street would become just as much a an iconic part of showbiz legend as Broadway or Tin Pan Alley. I mean, the cavern is, it just means so much around the globe, doesn't it? You, yeah, even today, the, the new cavern, floods of tourists every day. Oh, absolutely. Day. It's really busy every day, isn't it? You know? yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest, no idea whatsoever. I mean, no. I, I think at that age as well, you, you wouldn't contemplate no. anything. Like, you're just in the moment, really, weren't yeah. you? know, part, yeah. part of this kind of Mezzabit movement, if you yeah. like. Um, so not really an, an inkling that, no. that uh, it would you know still be so famous and still the music still liked all over the world today. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's a great thing, really. And well, I was going to say um, before we come on to how you started singing, you were born Beryl Hogg, I gather, one of ten children in Toxteth. Is that right? This is true. Yes. 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 <laughs> no tellies um, in those days, John. You say n- no what? No tellies. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, there were a lot of big families, weren't there? Yes. Yeah, yeah, there were a lot of big families. It's quite normal, really, wasn't it? Well, indeed, yeah. yeah. Um, but I just wondered what uh, what led you then into becoming a singer. Can you remember you the first time you started to sing? 
uh, probably when I was about two. <laughs> really? My, my mum said I was probably trying to sing words, you know, listening to the radio, as I say, because we didn't have TV till I was about 12, uh, copying things off the radio. And yeah. I've kind of, I think I've always known, even like in the schoolyard, when I went to school, I used to like be singing my head off in the schoolyard, getting on my you know, mate's nerves. And um, it was just something in my heart. Yes. You know, so I kind of always had that passion. Yeah. You know, can you it. remember what songs you would have sung at that age? Yeah. I mean, who were your early influences <laughs> and so, who, who were the singers you admired? Yeah, well, I mean, very, very early days. One memory sticks in my mind probably when I was two or three was the shrimp boats are coming. Oh, remember that yes, one? Yes, I do. They're dancing tonight. The shrimp well, boats yeah, are coming. I won't, I won't no. attempt to sing it, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that was yeah. one of the first I'm trying to remember who who did that. The woman who. Do you sang. know Mike? Joe Stafford. Joe Stafford. He's there too you clever, are. isn't he? The man from yeah, she was a great singer, <laughs> Joe Stafford, wasn't she? Terrific. I don't remember the name of the person. I just yeah. I'm a person who you know, pick up a song, you yeah. know, and I'll, I'll yeah. kind of try and do it. And yeah. I think then sort of later on, obviously, I loved when I first saw heard rock and roll. I absolutely loved it, mm. you know. Mm. And then I also like the likes of the Shirelles, one of my favourite yeah. all-time bands, Crystal. I, I did like harmonies mm. quite a bit as mm. well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Little Richard. Absolutely adored Little Richard. Yeah. You know, that sort of rawness and all, all that, sort, that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 So it, it, you've, got, you've got quite a broad band of musical taste, haven't you? Really? I, I have, yeah. Which, it's, yes. it's more songs for me, I think. Mm. And I'm still a bit like that. You know, I don't normally just get, you know, just one band or one singer. With her songs, I kind of mm. like the songs more than just uh, mm. getting into one person. And lyrics get to you, do they? The lyrics, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one of my all-time favourites is "Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow." Yeah, I think that it's, was the Shirelles. The Shirelles, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mike, uh, Mike Howell, uh, the show "One Dream." I repeat, it's on at the. Uh, it opens at the Epstein. Uh, next Friday, it's directed by a very talented lady, Sophie Tickle. Uh, who, of course, directed your last uh, production, which was the Class of 63, the football show um, celebrating Everton's 1963 championship. She's a very, uh, very clever lady, isn't she? Sophie's very talented, very imaginative, um, and uh, I'm, she's doing a fantastic job of directing this show. Yeah. I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy it. Yeah. And and if um, if somebody was, you know... Wondering whether to go or not. Tell, tell us why you think people should go and see it. I think it's very uplifting. Oh, right. it, it's, a, it's a great story. It's got great music. Um, terrific cast. There's some good actors, very, very good actors in there. Uh, and it's got an optimistic ending. So it's, it's, it's everything that I like about drama, really. Yeah. And, and I think people will come away saying, I'm, I'm glad I went to see that. I feel good. Uh, and, and say, I want to see it again and tell everyone about it. We've got great hopes for this show. We think it'll travel, yeah, sure. Yeah, and maybe um, after last summer's um, preliminary outing at the Cavern and this one, maybe um, maybe London might beckon Beryl. That oh, would be that great. would be yeah, that'd be really. Wouldn't that be good. great? Yeah, we'd love that. Be and fabulous. once you hit London, then it, it's a different thing altogether. Different thing altogether. Yeah. Nothing against Liverpool, but London is where it happens, isn't it? Well, <laughs> well, it is, isn't I guess it? If we're so. on in showbiz, <laughs> yeah, I guess it is, isn't I guess, it? Yeah, well, no, it'd be lovely because obviously I've, I have family down there too now, lots of friends in London, mm. um, so it'd be nice for them to see the show as well. The people that can't get up, you know, to yeah. come and see it in Liverpool. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, you mentioned Little Richard before, um, but you actually um, 
you sang uh, quite at quite an early age at the Star Club in Hamburg, not with Little Richard, but you were on the same bill as Chuck Berry, the That's great right. Chuck Berry yeah. and Jerry Lee Lewis. No. I mean, these were fantastic names in the 60s, weren't they? Oh, um, uh, incredible. And I mean, I was about 16, just you, turned 16 I, when well, I went. Well, weren't you too, at first, you were too young. You were with The Undertakers, <laughs> weren't you? I said The Undertakers. Well, take us through. Yeah. There well, you were, you were singing at school. <laughs> take us through how you progressed. Then, uh, obviously, used to go and watch a couple of the bands. And then one night we went to the OPB, Oral Park Ballroom. Um, my friends were like, you know, jeering me on to... Uh, you know, sing, and then they were shouting to the undertakers, hey, mace, hey, mace. <laughs> oh, mate's jabbing us mad, dear. Let it have a go, go on. <laughs> All that sort yeah. of stuff, which fortunately they did. Let me have a go. And um, and you stood up on stage. I stood up on stage, took my chewy out, stuck it on the mic stand, <laughs> as you do. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they were just, like, looking at me like, what is this girl doing, you know? <laughs> and then it just went, okay, boys. And off we went, and I not looked back, really. And you so, wouldn't remember the song you sang, would you? It was boys. Oh, boys! Yeah, yes, it yeah. was boys. I remember yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah, that was that was a big song, wasn't uh, it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think just um, yeah, I was very fortunate, really, wasn't I? So they, they did ask me to stay behind, and then you said, uh, you know, would I be interested in joining the band? That was the under- the Undertakers, the Undertakers yeah, yeah, which was great. So I was with the with the Undertakers for a little while, and then the following year, um, and I wasn't quite sixteen, so they. Signed a contract to go to Hamburg, but I can't blame them. But I was a bit upset, you know, yeah, because you were too young. I was to too go. young to go. So when I turned sixteen, we found a way. Um, well, Manfred found a way. Who you know, the guy that owned the Star Club, he said it was uh, you could get a special license down in Bow Street Magistrates Court in London. <laughs> you can imagine it. So Joe Flannery, who was then I'd signed management to, um, was my chaperone. Right. So I had to. Well, yes, I you needed one in <laughs> Hamburg. Then, Evidently so, yeah. I'm told. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, well, I'm, I'm glad really because yeah. obviously oh, even at 18, yeah. you know, until you're 18, you have to be off the streets mm. of Hamburg, you know, not just mm. foreign people, yeah. all the kids as well, yeah. which is good really, you know, off the streets, out of the clubs um, until you were 18 years old. But now and then I was allowed to stay out, ah. hide, you know, at the side of the stage. Right. I remember because that's how I saw Ray Charles. Because sometimes they, a lot of the guys didn't come on till later. Cause no, of it, course. You know, yeah, Ray Charles. Yeah, Ray Charles and the Raylettes, and that was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Jerry Lee Lewis, as you say, yeah. because I was I had to sing early on in the evening at the Star Club. So and then we did a couple of different venues with Chuck Berry as well as the Star Club. Yes, I went to Berlin yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah, I was very fortunate, John. You know, to be part of all of that. Really. Well, yeah, what great experience. And of course, it's uh, it's all told. Uh, it's captured in the show uh, called um, One Dream, which opens at the Epstein Theatre this Friday. I'm talking to Beryl Marsden and also <coughs> the show's writer and producer Mike Howell. We'll be back with more after this break. This is Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. My studio guests, singer Beryl Marsden and Mike Howell, producer of One Dream, the forthcoming musical show that traces Beryl's life and career. Beryl, we got you to the Star Club in Hamburg. Uh, You were sitting at the side of the stage watching these (laughs) unknown people like Ray Charles and Jerry Lee. Lewis, et al. But then I gather you later joined another local group, Howie, Casey and the Crew. Is that right? Well, that I actually started singing with Howie a little bit oh, I before see. I went to Germany. When right. it was um, now, 
Derry Wilkie was with, with him and Freddie Starr. Oh, right. So ah. was that how in the crew then? I can't quite remember. It doesn't matter. It doesn't but you matter. were singing so with, them, with them, well, them before yeah. I left yeah. for Germany. But the thing yeah. is, after you'd actually gone to the Stark of in yeah. Hamburg, you were on your way then because you came back and you moved to London, didn't you? Yeah, went down to London. Yeah. Uh, was chambermaid for about four days. No, probably for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Yeah. And then uh, met with a guy called Tony Stratton Smith. He was a sports writer, wasn't he? Yeah, he was actually, and yeah. he just been and he just started moving into the music business. Mm. And he said, "Oh, look!" He said, uh, the, the, "I've got this band playing down at the Pickwick Club, which a lot of the sports writers used to go oh, to." Oh, yes, then. indeed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I popped down there with him, and there was um, uh, there was called Paddy Klaus and Gibson, which was Gibson Kemp, Paddy Chambers, who were both Scousers, right. and of course Klaus Foreman. Was was from you know from Germany yes. and the bass player, great little band. So I joined them for a little while mm-hmm. until then. Brian Epstein came down to the club, spotted them, and wanted to and signed them up. Yeah. Um, and that's where, funny enough, I, 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 Mick, I first bumped into Mick Fleetwood because he came down oh, yeah. with his girlfriend Jenny Boyd and George Harrison with Patty Boyd. Mm-hmm. Well, Mick told me that actually a couple, a couple of months ago because I couldn't remember. Yeah, really? <laughs> My memory's not that good, John. <laughs> well, so you're not so, doing uh, badly. I'm not doing too bad. You're not doing I? badly. But then you yeah. signed also as a solo singer then with Decca Records, didn't you? Decca, no, that was no. De- that was in that was when I was 16. Oh, sorry, that was 15, That right. was early on. And then I signed to EMI ah. lately, you know, to do a couple yes, of... Tra- I, right. You know, made a couple of records with EMI. And then um, about a year and a half after that, that's when I was with Howie again, and yeah. the, they called The Crew. Yeah. We did some gigs, and Steve Aldo, another great singer from Liverpool. And then we did, um, well, to- Tony had talks with the Gunnels. Remember the Gunnels yes. in those days? Yes. And they had like the Flamingo, uh, you know, and, and some great clubs. And a lot a lot of artists like Georgie Fame, you know, and people Terrific, like that. Terrific, Georgie Fame. So yeah. they had an idea to put me and Rod Stewart as front singers with this with the, a band and we, you know, named it the Shotgun Express yeah. with Peter Green, Mick Fleetwood yeah. on drums. So, what what was Rod Stewart like in those days? Um, he was great. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's funny. I loved his voice. Oh yeah, great I mean, voice. You know. Well, I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, he's he, he could, he's the master of many styles as well, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. I mean, for me for me then, I think it, it, you know, it reminded me a little bit of Sam Cooke, that nice little rasp in the voice. Yeah. You know, really yeah. good. Mm. And I used to, you know, we used to do a couple of songs together and then do a solo song each, you know. We used to do stuff like the Sam and Dave things, mm. which were quite fun to Indeed, do then. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because he did start life as a busker, didn't he? Outside one of the tube stations, Rod. Evidently so. Yes. Evidently so. Yeah. He never talked about that. No. I'm sure he didn't, no. But, uh, but I mean, it's quite uh, remarkable how he's now um, <clears throat> he's now moved on and he'd, he's done, I think it's four albums from the Great American Songbook. Yeah, no. It's, 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 wonderful arrangements and orchestration, aren't they? Very talented guy. I mean, I know it's in, in the pipeline that he might be doing another tour with The Faces. Oh, Reforming really? with the faces again, yeah. so, and I, I, I like that era of you know when he was yeah. with the faces. I like that yeah. a lot. But to be able to switch from rock to Sinatra type is is a, a wonderful gift to if, have. If that you range. do it well, if you John, do it well, yeah. I mean, sure. there are a few singers I know that have tried that. And it doesn't it work doesn't for work. me. No, do, do, I agree. You know, do you know what I mean? But, but I think um, he shocked a lot of people pleasantly yes. when he started doing those. Yeah, yeah, he has got that sort of voice to Because I know a lot of people off. are a bit sniffy, you know, uh, people are from the jazz end of the spectrum. They said, oh, Rod Stewart singing the Great American Songbook. But when they hear it, they say, woof, 
That is good. It works, doesn't it? Yeah, it does work, yeah. 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 Anyway, back to you. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the release of your live recording, Everybody Loves a Lover. That's right, isn't it? At the Cavern. At the Cavern. (laughs) Yeah. And it it was on the LP Live at the Cavern, wasn't it? That's right. What was it like recording Live at the Cavern? Nerve, nerve wracking. Oh. <laughs> can, 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 can you imagine it? Oh, no. <laughs> no. Nerve wracking. But it was such a lovely atmosphere. You mm. just, you know, once you, I think, for me, I, I get a bit nervous until I actually start to sing and then I'm fine, you know. So once I got into the yeah. vocals, it was absolutely fine. I think you've always got to have that edge, haven't you? I think it's People who say they don't, it? I don't believe them, no. do you? No, I, well, I find it very strange. I do. Because even, you know, even though after all these years, I still get those nerves. Mm. And I think it's quite important to, to, to feel like that. So, you, you know, you try and do your best, don't yeah. you? Guys? I, I, I don't you've got to feel like emotions somehow, you know? Yeah, well, indeed. And uh, I think to be artistic is to be emotional as well. And therefore, you, you're going to have a sign of a uh, bit of apprehension at the very least, aren't you? Before? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That's that's what it feels like, doesn't it? And around that time too, I think, Beryl, you cut your first single, I Know You Don't Love Me No More, is that right? That's true, yeah. yes. Yeah, what <laughs> memories of that? <laughs> that wasn't live at the cabin. <laughs> no, no. That, that was live down in uh, Decker Recording Studios. It, studios, yeah. it was uh, it, not my favourite thing to do to be honest because uh, I you know because I, I've worked with music you know the bands up here and to actually be taken down to London it's this massive big studio with a whole orchestra mm. and backing girls that I've never met before you know the Venus girls sang on everything then yes. didn't they yes. you know and I, you know it wasn't my favorite thing and then it's like you had you did two tracks in about okay I've got four hours to go and off you go and everyone does everything at the same time Yes. You know, so you only do a couple of takes. Yeah, yeah. You know. It's um, a little bit cold in a way. A little bit cold, yeah. When yeah. I'm used to like raw rock and roll, sure, if you know exactly. what I mean, which I, in a way, on reflection, would have been lovely to have done it that way. But they didn't seem to do that for the girls those days, you know. No. And A&R men were totally in control. So you of didn't, course. You, yeah. you, know, you yeah. had to do yeah. what you were told, really. Yeah. Mike Howell's listening intently. We'll be talking more to Mike a little later. Your uh, musical taste, is it still embedded in the 60s, Mike? Very much so. I think uh, groups like the Big Three and the Mercy Beats, the Denisons, uh, and a lot of the people that Beryl's mentioned, for me, it is raw music, and and I still like it today. I, I think sometimes today's music's a bit too refined. Yeah. Yes. Overproduced. Yes, yeah. Overproduced. yes, indeed. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Well, anyway, Beryl, in 1965... Um, you went on a tour of the UK and you went with a group I think did reasonably well called the Beatles. Oh, now, then. <laughs> that must have been an experience and a half, that. Well, it was, you know, um, it, you know, a couple of people have asked me about this. and I, For me, it was great and I loved the guys so much. I was very excited to be on it. Except for them, it wasn't very great because it was just, you know, and all that mania. It was horrendous. Yeah. Absolutely you horrendous. saw that at first hand, didn't I, you? Absolutely, yeah. And it's, so it's, it's, not, it's not fun. No. And, it's, and, and I, for me, I thought it was really sad because you're travelling across the country where some people haven't really heard the Beatles properly and you've got the, one of the best live bands in the world and no one's listening. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and I couldn't even hear them properly, no. you know, because of all these screaming yes. girls, yes. you know. It so a... it's, it's it's very, very strange. And even the guys, they didn't know why, you know, what was going on and it why this was happening. In a way, didn't of course, it? It, it, it's good. To be honest, I think they were a bit scared. You would start, be. It, it's a bit scary, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> going, I would ah, imagine it is. I would imagine it is. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, for you, 
what memories that must must have, you know? Well, I can't, I can't you know, it was, I say it was lovely to do it, but in one aspect, yeah. but then in the other, it would have been lovely to be able to hair the, yes, them play properly. Yes. Does that make sense, John? Yeah, because, no, it does better. Yeah. Yes, I can, yeah. So, um, yeah, that the occasion took over the musical. Yes. Input of it, yes. Well, yeah, that, that was yeah, it, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you'd, because you'd met, um, you certainly knew them before you went on tour. Oh, didn't gosh, you? yeah. Because yeah. you'd seen I them mean, at the cavern and but also grown we, up we, with them, really. Yeah, we've done, we did some shows together. I mean, I used to, because uh, I used to do shows with um, with The Undertakers and then with Lee Curtis, my name wasn't, you know, billed as Barrow Mars. So no. we did the Tower Ballroom with Little Richard, can you believe it? The Tower Ballroom yeah, with, Little with the Richard. Beatles. Yeah. Little Richard was top of the bill. Tower Ballroom, New uh, Brighton. New yeah. Brighton, yeah. yeah. And that was a great. That was a great mm. venue. Used yes, to like it that. was. Yeah. So we, yeah, we did some. Uh, I was on the same bill as them. But tell us about the time you recorded um, with John Lennon a song called Karma, wasn't it? Instant Karma. Instant Karma. Instant Karma. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, John had sent uh, Billy Preston, who was uh, recording with him on this album. Mm. Um, so he sent him down to this. Well, I think it was a speakeasy club. <laughs> Someone else might have differ from yeah. that in London. So basically came to find a few uh, vocalists to come and, you know, said John's sent me down because he knows you hang around here. Do you fancy coming yeah. and doing some yeah. backing vocals on his track? Well, of course, you don't say no, no. do you, John? You no, think, you don't. Not to no. John. No. So, yeah, we did this instant karma, you know, with, um, which and I still have fond memories of that. But I didn't, unfortunately, chat to John because it was literally go in, right. do, you know, record it yes. and, and, and get dropped off again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but listening, you know, of course, what what happened to John was very sad. So, oh. know, fond memories of singing yeah. on, on the chorus. But of what that. they've done is there forever. I think they'll be listening to the Beatles a hundred years from now, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. For and what they wrote, right. not only what they perform, what they wrote as well. What they wrote. Yeah. yeah. Now, also, Beryl, um, we mentioned earlier that this um, show, One Dream, is not just about the music; it's about your life and. Your life's not been all music and applause, because I gather the play also depicts how you overcame what was a traumatic period, and you uh, you got over it, I gather, or helped to get over it by discovering and practicing Buddhism. That, that's yeah. That just tell us a true. bit about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Sandy Shaw was a big help in this. Well, we helped each other. Ah, right. Oh, <laughs> well, right. when I say help, I'd say supported each yes, other because sure. we, we we both uh, found. Uh, Buddhism, Nichiren Daishonin's Buddhism around the same time, a very early seven, 1978 right. which is funny because I hadn't met Sandy before even though I knew who she was and of her and the same for me, you know, our paths had been different I guess, you know, but then we came together and, mm. and met each other in, in, in early days then and, and how did you sort of find Buddhism, I mean, did you see something advertised? Do you want to no. no. Well, I'm just asking how you <laughs> no. came upon well, it. Well, I mean, personally, I'd, I'd kind of read a couple of books when I was quite young, to be honest, um, and then thought, well, you know, going off into retreats and mountains sounds lovely, but it's not more about your daily life. How mm. would you do deal with daily life? Right. So this particular Buddhism, where we chant nam myoho kyo means like basically you activate your highest life state, and connect to the life states and try and draw that out of others in your, in your environment. So it's a very simple practice, but very yeah. profound. Indeed. And um, I met Hilton Valentine from The Animals, oh. was the person that told me about it, funny enough. Right. Uh, and I saw the change in him and said, well, you know, I'll go and find out about it. And that's yeah. where I met Sandy, right. at a Buddhist meeting in yeah. London. Yeah. So, and it's, it's a great movement. It's a movement for, for the happiness of people. Yes, and you know, and people treating each other with respect, mm. you know, through through uh, a profound without change. any great dogma being uh, 
Well, there isn't any do's uh, or no, don'ts. No. I think you know you have to find out the, the what's what's good and right for your yeah. life, don't you? You know. Yeah, quite. So it's a great it's a great practice. John, so you've yeah. come through it, and you're as right as ninepence, as they say now. Well, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> right as ninepence. That's That'll what they do say, me. Isn't it? Yeah. Right as ninepence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, well, that's great. And um, the other thing I was going to say was that the girls who were playing you, there's one playing you as a 16-year-old, another as a 21-year-old. They are Francesca Davis and Gillian Hardy. And you, at the end, you come on and sing as well, don't you? I do. A couple great. of songs at the end. They let yeah. me come on at the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a couple of yeah, songs. That's great. But they're so talented. Francesca and Gillian, both wonderful, talented vocalists. And actresses, you know, super, very, very good. Yeah. Well, Beryl, it's been great to meet you. We've, I know you've got to go and get a train. I'll be talking more to Mike Howell in the third segment of the show. Let's talk about your CD, Changes, the story of Beryl Marsden. We're going to play out with um, Breakaway. Uh, now, tell us a bit about that, Beryl. Right. I think it was um, from America. I'm trying to think back that long ago, John. Uh, and I think the A&R man at, at EMI suggested that I record it and there were high hopes for it. Uh, I think it's a great little track. Yeah. And, and um, it, But I don't think it got much airplay at the time, unfortunately. But then years later... Tracy Almond had a massive big hit with it. So there you go. It was yes. a good song. <laughs> well, we're going to play out with it, and people might say, wow, that's a great track. And uh, if they want it, they can get it on Changes, the story of Beryl Marsden, which is available on in the Amazon. Shops and on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Beryl, thanks very much. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very John. much, Beryl.
Ollie John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. We heard earlier in the show from singer Beryl Marsden and still with me in the studio, Mike Howell, who's produced and written uh, One Dream, which is the story of Beryl's life, uh, highly successful last summer at the Cavern, and now about to open at the Epstein Theatre. It opens, in fact, this Friday and runs through to Sunday. Uh, Mike, um, it's a big story because it's so long, isn't it? I mean, Beryl's career embraces from the 60s right through to the 21st century, so he had an awful amount to go at, I would think. It's what you leave out, is it, not what you put in? I think you hit the nail on the head there, John, actually. It's, it's 50 years. Yes. You know, I can't believe that it's 50 years since I stood in the cavern watching Beryl singing. Uh, and, of course, it's someone had said to me in 1963, 64, that half a century later I'd be writing a life story. I, I wouldn't have believed it. No. I mean, it's funny where life leads you sometimes, isn't it? You know? Well, it is. Yeah. And amazingly, 50 years was heavily involved in your last production because you did the class of 63 at the Dome which was the story of Everton's 1963 championship mm -hmm. triumph. So there's something about half centuries that clearly gets to your artistic That's side. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, in another 50 years, who knows what I'll be writing then, you know. <laughs> well, so. indeed, Mike, yes. I hope you're back here talking about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. But, um, the, I mean, the songs in the show, you've got actually new songs in the show, haven't you? Yeah, we've used a lot of the songs that people associate with Beryl, because although some people might say, well, I've not heard of Beryl, um, she has got a big following. A lot of people do remember her. Uh, and there, there are certain songs they associate with Beryl. Breakaway is one of them, certainly. Uh, I Know is, is another one. Uh, and people who've seen her in shows over the last few years will, will, will remember what she sings. But th there is a, a brand-new song which um, Beryl has written, which is called Shattered Into Pieces, right. which is featured in the show, which is a beautiful song. Um, and that t song takes place uh, immediately after the... The, the downside of, of Beryl's life when, un, un, unfortunately, her marriage didn't work out. Mm. Um, and uh, at that particular time, she was going through a, through, through a bad time. And that song reflects that right. particular period. Indeed. Uh, and, and I think over a period of 50 years, I mean, who of us can say that there hasn't been a moment in our life when we felt completely on the floor? Yeah. Uh, and so I think the audience would be able to identify with that. Yes. Is particularly if our target audience, if you like, are the us, um, should we say, over 40s yes. um, that, that are going to, going to be there. Yeah. Um, but it's the way that Beryl deals with it in real life that, that that's interesting yes. uh, and gives hope to people that are currently going through that sort of situation. Of course. And as Beryl says, her um, discovering Buddhism has been a fantastic thing for her. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it covers... There's so much material to cover. I mean, yes. it begins at the Oral Park Ballroom when she jumps up onto stage at the age of 14 and sings with the Undertakers. Yeah. And they go, wow, yeah, you can sing. Yeah. Then goes on to the cavern where she um, is introduced to Joe Flannery, who becomes a manager, and yeah. she, she, she sings, every, uh, um, uh, she sings um, Everybody Loves a Lover. Um, and then going down to a recording studio in London, um, uh, as it says in the play at that time, when she's asked to go to London, she says, well, the furthest south I'd ever been in Liverpool at the time was Sefton Park. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. So it was a big jump. Yes. Uh, and this yeah. quite well, naive 15-year-old girl in, 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 in London, uh, and then going to Germany, and that huge experience. And I think a lot of people would agree that 16-year-old people in 1963 were 16 going on 14 today. Oh, without They're 16 doubt. going on 25. Indeed, God yes. Bless them. Um, so that was an, that experience. Then coming back from Hamburg, 
taking the story up where she goes to London, as she says, and she she meets these unknown singers called Rod Stewart and mm. Peter Green and yes. Mick Fleetwood. Yeah. Um, the exciting times with Shotgun Express, touring yeah. the country, um, uh, and then uh, working as a, as, a, as a chambermaid in a hotel in yeah. London, which is a fun yes. scene Wonderful. in the play. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, it sounds terrific, and I'm hoping I get to see it this time because I missed it last summer. Talking about events coming up, um, Mike will be interested in this, being a lifelong Evertonian. Uh, on um, Thursday, uh, April the 17th, I'll be um, at Goodison with Kevin Sheedy for a dinner to launch the book we've just written called... It's called Kevin Sheedy. It's his biography, subtitled... So good, I did it twice. That refers to his uh, twice-taken free kick, the famous one, against Ipswich. So it's a dinner organised by the Everton Heritage Society. And if you'd like tickets, uh, it's April the 17th at Goodison Park. Uh, Kevin and I will be there. We're doing a, each doing a chat and question and answers. So I'm sure it'll be a great night. Tickets from, this is the email address, Paul Wharton, that's W-H-A-R-T-O-N-E-F-C, that's all one word, Paul Wharton EFC at btinternet.com. We look forward to seeing you. And then, a week or so later, on April the 25th, I'll be at New Brighton Floral Pavilion with two of the greatest ever to wear Goodison's Royal Blue. Kevin Ratcliffe and Neville Southall will join me on stage for an audience with Everton legends. It's going to be a night of great stories and with Neville about strong opinions and the two goodies and greats will also take questions from the audience. Make sure you're a part of it. Tickets £12 available in person from the Floral Pavilion box office or by calling 0151 or online at www.floralpavilion.com and in case you think I was majoring on Everton and forgetting about Liverpool Later in the year, we'll be doing uh, a fabulous new show about Bob Paisley to celebrate his 40th anniversary of becoming manager. I'll give you more details about that in later shows. That will be in September. Uh, yes, Mike, very exciting times. You're now in full rehearsal for One Dream because it's, uh, it's almost upon us, isn't it, the show? It is, and as anyone who's ever done this before will tell you it's the most frightening time of I your life. I can vouch for that. Yes, and you've done it many times, yeah. Um, <laughs> even going back to the nineteen, the 2004 Panto Snow Blue and the Seven we were Blue t- Noses. Let's just remind people, because it's now, what, ten years mm. ago, uh, Snow Blue and the Seven Blue Noses, the first ever football stage pantomime, and uh, it ran for a week at the Royal Court. Full, almost full houses every night as well. An amazing experience. It was. Place, yeah. and, and every night we had, I mean, the Blue Noses were made up of former Everton players, but you also had two walk-on-stage guests every night. And I remember on the Saturday night, the final night, Neville Southall arrived, and we couldn't stop the applause. It was just, he is a Pied Piper, isn't he, Neville? Yeah, we couldn't get on with the show. <laughs> no, we a, a real showstopper, yeah. yeah. And a great yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. So. he didn't just stop sh- shots, he stopped shows. Yes. That's a nice line. We must use that yes. more often. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just let people know that uh, One Dream, the Battle Marsden story, it opens at the Epstein this Friday evening, March the 14th, runs to Sunday, March the 16th. Tickets are £15 or £10, depending on evening or matinee. Available from the box office or by calling 0844 double four double one or you can visit www.epsteinliverpool.co.uk um 
It must be great, Mike. It must be a wonderful um, feeling of uh, satisfaction and fulfilment. I know it's very hard work, but when the curtain finally goes up and something that, you know, you experienced as it happened as a youngster and then to have sat down and written and captured all the ensuing years of one artiste and then to see that come to fruition must be a wonderful, wonderful, fulfilling moment, that. It is, and I count myself as being very lucky very fortunate to be able to do it um, and to recreate that energy and I think that's the, the word that applies to, to Liverpool in the 60s that energy that, that the young people had, I mean they have it today just the same but it was mm. a very special time yeah. um, and that's what we try to do on stage and, and I think I can honestly say that people come and see the show, you will feel that energy in the performances that we've got uh, and it, it, it's um, um, young Francesca Davis literally rocks her way through fantastic. the first half of the show, and then Gillian, who plays Beryl when she's older, uh, does some fantastic stuff in the second half. It's a roller coaster ride, Good. which has been Beryl's life, and it it, it changes pace uh, and it, it changes mood all the way through the show. So it's up and down, up and down. Yeah, that's great. Mike Howell, all success with it. Thank you for coming in. Thanks also to Beryl Marsden. I wish you a, a great show. And so from Mike and from Beryl and from me, John Keith, from this edition of Strictly John Keith, goodbye. Strictly John Keith. City Talk 105.9.